Good evening. Happy Wednesday. Wednesday, middle of the week, another service. Life is good, right? So character is the identity of who we are, but conduct is what we do. Character comes first, and then conduct flows from that. If you ever notice that people in this world are always looking for their purpose in life, they keep searching and searching for their identity. And I know that we want to be a good influence on people, but how do we do that? I read a story while I was writing a sermon, and it was about President Woodrow Wilson. And he told a story once, and he said, I was in a very common place. I was sitting in a barber chair when I became aware of a personality had entered the room. A man had quietly, in the same errand as myself, to get a haircut. And he sat in a chair next to me. Every word the man uttered, though it was not the least in dietic, showed a personal interest in the man who was serving him. And before I got through with what was being done to me, I was aware that I had attended an evangelistic service because D.L. Moody was in that chair. President Wilson went on to say, I purposely lingered in the room after he left and noted that the singular effect that his visit had upon this barbershop they talked in undertones. They didn't know his name, but they knew that something elevated their thoughts. And I felt that I left that place as I should have left a place of worship. My admiration and esteem for Mr. Moody became very deep indeed. This is a picture of influence. Have you ever met somebody where you're just enthralled with what they're saying? and you feel that everybody in the room is sitting there listening. That's probably how he felt. And an influence that we all as believers in Christ, we should all try to attain this type of influence on the world. You could ask yourself, what message am I leaving the world? When you pass by people, or if you're with others, what are you saying to them? How do we become an influence in our world today? How do we know what our purpose or identity is? Well, Jesus tells us exactly what our purpose is and what our identity is. If everybody can stand for the word of God. In Matthew 5, 13 to 16, it says, You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for others to see, and that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. 
Lord God, I thank you for this night. I thank you for us being able to come here and gather together on another Wednesday, Lord God, and just read your word and study your word. I just pray that we just get rid of any distractions that we may have coming in from work or other things that we've been doing today, and I just pray that we can focus on you and that we can focus on being the salt and the light so that everybody can see your glory. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So when I started writing this sermon, I've been wanting to... uh, speak on on this for a while because I've always enjoyed reading Matthew 5 because that's where you find the Beatitudes and and uh, but it, it when I was preparing the sermon I couldn't help but think that for those of you who know I work for WMUZ and just so happens that we have two WMUZ radio stations now one on AM and then the other one on FM and it's the salt in the light of Detroit so every time I was doing this, I kind of thought about that. But then I also thought about how our influence on people as Christians should be. And I wonder sometimes, do we ever think about how I can make a difference in this world? If we ever wonder why we are here and what we're supposed to do. Well, if you think all this stuff, Don't worry, because you're not alone. I think we all think about that. We all wonder and think these things, and thankfully, we have the Word of God to give us the answers to these questions. In Matthew 5, in the beginning of it, we read from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And before this time, Jesus was preaching and teaching to everyone around him that would come, that either wanted to be healed or they wanted to hear him preach and teach. But here, he is specifically focusing on his disciples and the believers. Here we read in Matthew 5 what's commonly known as the Beatitudes. And the Beatitudes are eight declarations of blessedness that are spoken by Jesus at this beginning of what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes describe the ideal disciple and the rewards of being a disciple, both in the present and in the future. I heard somebody uh, preaching on this say that the Beatitudes kind of show us what a true Christian is and what somebody who's just kind of walking the line and, and isn't really fully giving themselves to Christ. So in this section, Jesus had been talking and preaching and teaching to the multitudes and Now he's focusing on his followers. And the Beatitudes describe the character of a Christian. And then afterwards, in our text that we're reading here, it describes the Christian in the world. And what the function of the believer in the world is. We read about influence of Christians and Jesus saying that the Christian who lives according to the Beatitudes is going to influence the world as salt and light. So let's take a look at the very first part of this, Matthew 5.13. It says, you are the salt of the earth. Jesus here is talking about influence and how you and I 
affect the world. Look at the way that Jesus says this. He says, you are the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, if you want to be, be the salt of the earth. He doesn't say, go home and pray about whether or not you want to be the salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. And in the same way, he also said, you are the light of the world later on. So what is, or who is, the salt of the earth? You. Jesus is saying everyone who is characterized by this beatitude, standard life, all who are the sons and daughters of the kingdom, you are the salt and you are the light. And you are to be an influence of good and an influence for God. The you here he's referring to is those who are also spoken of in the earlier verses in the Beatitudes. He said, you who are poor in spirit, you who are meek, you who are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you who are pure in heart, and you who are peacemakers. You are all the salt of the earth. That sounds like a believer, doesn't it? You who are citizens of the kingdom of God have the responsibility of being the salt and the light in the world. And Jesus is calling us to influence the world that we live in, just like he was calling those who were his disciples and were listening to this message. I completely forgot my salt shaker. And I forgot to run in the back and see if I had one. But let's just imagine that the church, the building, the church is a salt shaker. Inside this salt shaker, we are one. We all love each other and we support each other and we do life together. We serve alongside one another. As you can imagine, inside the salt shaker, it's real salty. Lots of salt in there. And this is the best place that you can be if you're like salt. It's comfortable here in this little salt shaker. And as time goes on, more and more people come in and our salt shaker fills with more and more salt. But as long as that salt is in that salt shaker, what good is it? Have you ever had salt stay in a salt shaker for a very long time? It gets crusty and hard to get out. Kind of like us. I mean, not crusty, I hope, but <laughs> we feel comfortable and we feel safe in the salt shaker with all the like-minded grains of salt. We do lots of things in the salt shaker. We pray we read and study scripture. We have fun together inside the salt shaker. But in the salt shaker, we're not able to have an influence on our culture. Oh, a salt shaker. In this salt shaker, thank you. No, no pepper. 
we're not able to make a difference in our community. We're not out making friends with our neighbors because we're safely in this salt shaker. We're locked away in our salt shaker. We're not fulfilling our purpose. The church makes the salt salty and then shakes our salt into a world that desperately needs transformation. And the power of the gospel brings that. We don't always want to do it. And we always feel safe and cozy in our little salt shaker. But Jesus says that we are the salt of the earth. And for salt to have an influence on our community and in our world, we have to get out of the salt shaker once in a while. This is not an easy task. I'm sure some of you are thinking that because I surely did. We being the salt of the earth and the light of the world is harder than we may think. And Jesus talked about this in one of my favorite parts of Scripture is the high priestly prayer in John 17. And this is a prayer that Jesus prayed before he was going to die. He says, Now I am coming to you. I told them many things while I was with them in this world so that they would be fulfilled or filled with my joy. I have given them your word, and the world hates me because they do not belong to the world. Just as I do not belong to the world, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from the evil one. They do not belong to this world any more than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I am praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. Did you get that all part? He wasn't only praying for his disciples of that time. He was praying for all who would believe in him. That's us. So Jesus wants us in this world, but he doesn't want us to be a part of this world. He sent us into this world, but he doesn't want us to love or mimic the world. So how are we supposed to do this, you might ask? Well, he tells us right here in Matthew 5, 13 to 16. We are to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. The salt, in order to be effective, must be mixed with substance, the substance it's affecting. But it also must be distinct from that substance. Everybody loves winter here in Michigan, right? No, I don't like winter. But we get snow and we get ice, sometimes lots of it. And we see the salt trucks out there salting the roads. And I send my son outside to salt the driveway. And, and we do that because we know that it's going to penetrate that ice and it's going to melt it away. You see, 
that salt is affecting the ice, but it's also distinct from that ice. It's not the ice. And light, in order to, for it to dispel the darkness, it must shine on the darkness, but also be distinct from the darkness. For the longest time, I worked afternoons as a police officer and then midnights, and one of my best friends was a flashlight. And so I remember several times jumping out of my car to go do something in the dark and realizing I don't have my flashlight, and so I had to run back and shine the light so I can see. That light was distinct from the darkness, but it wasn't the darkness. This world that we live in is dark and decaying. And we as passionate followers of Christ need to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So what is salt? According to my kids, it's what makes food taste bad when you leave it out. I remember one time we were having food at the house and I texted Daniel before I left. I said, can you make french fries for our dinner? I'm going to make, I'm going to grill some stuff and we'll have french fries. So I came home and there was a pan of french fries with about that thick of salt all over it. So my kids love salt because salt gives food good taste. Salt gives zest and it gives flavor to our food in the same way that Christians are to give zest and flavor to life. But salt has a lot of redeeming qualities. One thing we know is that salt makes things flavorful. Just like I talked about when Daniel was pouring salt all over the french fries, he did that to make the fries more flavorful. That's how we should be. There's a misconception among people that think that Christianity is dull and boring, but it's not. We have to have flavor and we have to enjoy life. In the Christian life, we also should be inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good, as it says in Psalm 34, 8. When we invite people to taste and see that the Lord is good, we're not merely inviting them to just come check out his credentials or we're not saying, hey, try this. I think you might like it. No, we're telling them, here's what I have to offer you. Taste and see that the Christian life is good, that following Christ is good. When we became Christians, we found out how awesome the Lord is. And we found out for ourselves that he is kind and he is good. Have you ever went somewhere and somebody said, oh, you got to try this. It's so good. This meal is so good. You got to try this sandwich that I made. It's so good. And unless you try it, you're not going to know whether or not you like it or not. So we should be telling others Taste and see that the Lord is good. Also, part of being flavorful 
in inviting others to taste and see that the Lord is good, we must also, as it says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Not only do we have to invite people to taste and see that our Lord is good, but we have to be wise when we're interacting with those who do not know Christ. Don't be crusty like the salt that stays in the salt shaker for a very long time. But it also says that we're supposed to take and make the most out of every opportunity that we're given to tell the good news of salvation to everyone. If we're not gracious or our conversation with the unbeliever is not full of grace, then we lose our effectiveness. We lose our flavor. Because remember, salty Christians leave people wanting more of the gospel. And when we're gracious and courteous in our interactions with others, they will respect us and want to hear what we have to say about God's love. So be gracious and courteous to everyone. Be kind. Not only is salt used for flavor, but in the times of the Bible and in the ancient times, salt was used as a preservative. Today we have refrigerators and freezers and we still use salt to preserve our meat and fish. But imagine back then, they had no refrigerators, no way to keep their meat and fish fresh. So you could see how important salt was to them because if you remember, they were all fishermen, shepherds, and farmers that Jesus was speaking to. So salt was essential to them for preserving their fish and meat. And back then, they would cut blocks of salt from the Dead Sea for the purpose of preservation of their foods. So we can see that salt was very important in Bible times. One important aspect of salt was in the form of covenants. In 2 Chronicles 13.5, we read, Do you not know that the Lord God of Israel gave the rule over Israel forever to David and his sons by a covenant of salt. This was a covenant of salt that God spoke of that he made with David. Now today we have notary republics. If you got to go somewhere to get something signed officially or you want to make some type of contract with somebody, you go up to the uh, get some notary republic or you get court stamps or you make some type of official legal documents and the judge signs it and they stamp it. Back then, two men making agreements would eat salt in front of witnesses and that made it binding. So try going to buy a house and say, okay, we're going to make this covenant. Let's eat some salt. So as you can see, salt was very important. When we live as Christians, we help preserve the world. We make it a better place. We're to preserve whatever we come in contact with. 
on the show that I produce at WMUZ, the Bob Duco show, we get a lot of good guests that come in and I get to interact with some of them and talk to them and read their books. That's one good thing. They just send me book after book. And recently we had a uh, guest, his name was Dr. Jeremiah Johnston. And he wrote a book called Unimaginable. What would our, be, what would our world be like without Christianity? And if you ever check out that book, I would encourage you to read it. It's a very good book. And Dr. Johnston did a great job in that book showing how around the world and throughout history the impact of the Bible and Christian faith had on humanity and how unimaginable a world without Christianity would really be. We see Christian organizations helping people out. We have Christian organizations that help starving children in other countries through Compassion International. We also have Christian organizations building hospitals and colleges. And if you ever notice, when there's horrific events, there are so many Christian charities and churches that come together to help and to pray. All these things help preserve our world. But there's another way that we can all individually act to help preserve the world, and that's by sharing our faith with others. It took me a long time to be bold in my faith. And there were times in my life where I was very, very bold in my faith. And unfortunately, there were other times that I was not as bold in my faith as I should have been. And in many of the times that I was very bold in my faith, sharing my faith with others was very important. It should be very important to all of us. And in the times that I wasn't very bold in my faith, I would kind of go with where the world was leading me and where the worldly people were leading me. But then once I started standing strong and being bold in my faith again, I started hearing the comments like, Where's the old Keith at? Man, we miss him. He was so much fun. I'm standing right there. I'm still fun. They say, why are you so serious about your faith all the time? But people noticed that there was a change, and it was a good change. So you have to remember that people watch us. They watch what we do, and they watch what we say. And so we have to preserve their souls because every single person matters to God. We're all precious to him. Salt also purifies. We are purified through Jesus Christ, so we must live a life as if we're purified. We can also purify others in their walk with God by encouragement, involvement with them, taking time for people, and teaching them God's Word. How many times have you seen somebody that needs a little bit of encouragement and you kind of just walked away from them because maybe you're having a bad day? But let's start encouraging each other and praying with each other. And even those who we may not know if they're believers or Christians, just take time for people. And be involved in their lives. Read the Bible with them. There's so many things that we can do 
as Christians just to help people out around in our community. Another thing is that salt penetrates. Just as salt penetrates 100% of the time, we should penetrate 100% of the time. We as Christians are to be in this world, but we're not supposed to be part of the world. To be in this world, we are to be the salt that penetrates our community and others with the good news of Jesus Christ. With salt, though, I think one of the most important things that we know about salt is that salt creates thirst. Have you ever had something to eat so salty that you really needed something to drink really bad afterwards? If you haven't, you should come try some Daniel's French fries. <laughs> You'll be drinking water for a while. Who wants to agree with me, and not everybody loves eggs, and, but don't eggs taste so much better with a little bit of salt on them? <laughs> it's biblical, too. In Job 6.6, 6, it says, Don't people complain about unsalted food? Does anyone want the tasteless white of an egg? So Job here is saying, you can't eat eggs without salt. This is how we as Christians are to be. We are supposed to create a thirst in others. We're supposed to create a thirst of people wanting more. We're to live our life as passionate followers of Christ so that people look at us and they say, I want to live like that. I want to be like that. Just like when D.L. Moody walked into that barber shop. They may not have known who he was. And if you don't know, he's a very famous evangelist who started Moody College and a uh, very, very uh, famous evangelist. But his presence and his influence was known. And that's how we're supposed to be towards others. When people see us living for Christ and reading his word and that we're happy, People can see that and they want to know what's making us so happy. And we can tell them what makes us happy. I always picture uh, a Christian of how people of the world kind of thinks of Christians as, as wearing a suit and tie with a big Bible in their hand, with their frown. That's not how we're supposed to be. We're supposed to be joyful. We're supposed to be happy. Because you know why? This world that we live in, it's in spiritual dehydration. And it's up to us to create a thirst for who God is. So as we keep reading, we see that Jesus asks the question, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. How can pure salt lose its saltiness? It can't, unless it's polluted with something else. The fishermen from Galilee who heard Jesus speak these words 
would have had no problem understanding what Jesus was talking about here. Jesus was referring to the polluted salt that came from the Dead Sea. In addition to the pure salt, it was mixed with minerals, dirt, and other impurities, and it lost its effectiveness over time. It's kind of like mixing salt with something that maybe you're drinking, and it tastes really bad. I heard one preacher say that as a joke, him and his friend went out, and they ordered food and some pop, and there was a Coca-Cola sitting there, and he went to the bathroom real quick, and he put a little bit of salt in there just to tease him. When he came back, he sat down. He's getting ready. Took a big gulp of that Coke, just salty, and he said he just kind of, oh, kind of spitting it out, and he felt bad, but that kind of tells you how salt can be polluted and not be good sometimes. So this salt was being polluted. It was incapable of doing what salt was meant to do, giving flavor and preserving. So people would take that salt, that bad salt, and they would throw it on the path to block the weeds. A farmer or fisherman could do nothing with this. If they put it on the fields, it would cause the ground to be infertile, so it was useless. And Jesus knew, and that's why he was talking this way, Jesus knew that true, pure salt never loses its saltiness. So Jesus may have been saying here that true believers, those who truly follow him, will always be salty. That a true believer's witness and their testimony and their faith will influence others. What good are Christians if they don't truly follow Jesus? It makes no sense. But yet we see that a lot. So we must continue to be a good influence on the world. I'm sure we've all seen many Christians that backslide and run off and start following the world and do bad behavior. But they still say, yeah, I'm a Christian. The world sees us and they say, see, that's why I'm not a Christian, because they're just hypocrites. He's out here partying with me, but yet he's going to church on Sunday. Or they use that witness or influence to say, see, I can go out and live a party lifestyle and live wild, because that Christian over there is doing it. So it can't be that bad, can it? So they use some Christian bad examples as an excuse for their wickedness. So we do see many that don't seem too salty. But when we cooperate with God's Spirit at work inside of us, we become saltier. Jesus wants us to be the salt of the earth. And not only that, but we're to be the light of the world. Who knows that song, This Little Light of Mine, I'm going to let it shine. I'm not going to sing it because I'm not a singer. I'm a drummer. <laughs> but when I was thinking about this, that's a song that came to my mind. I'm going to let it shine, right? So just like salt, light has a number of uh, functions. 
Number one, light guides. Just like I told you earlier, I used a flashlight when I was a police officer to, at, on midnights and afternoons to guide myself so I don't trip over something or if we had to run or, or do whatever, I, I used a flashlight. We use flashlights to guide us when we're camping. We use flashlights for all that, for guiding us. But we also need to guide people to the light of the world. In John 8, 12, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Jesus here is calling himself the light of the world. There's no darkness with him. Jesus is like the light that, sh that the sun shines in the sky. We're kind of like the moon, which has no source of light on its own. And the moon reflects the sun's light, just as we're to reflect Jesus, the Son of God, at work in our lives. But then here, Jesus is telling us that we are to be the light of the world. Another thing that light does is that light illuminates. In John 1, 4-5, it says, The Word gave life to everything that was created, and His life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness never extinguishes it. So it illuminates, it helps us see. And I like to watch old movies and old westerns. We don't see this in westerns, but I don't know if anybody's ever seen like old movies where they have those men who are in jail and they're like, we're going to break out at midnight. And so they have this big plan and they break out. And all of a sudden all the sirens go off. They got these huge searchlights going back and forth, looking for them. Why are they doing that? They're trying to illuminate the darkness as much as they can so they can find them. So just as these searchlights illuminate and try and find someone, when we follow Jesus, who is the true light, we see and avoid walking blindly and falling into sin. Jesus removes the darkness of sin from our lives, and we can clearly see how we are to live. Another thing is that light convicts. Imagine how much we could get away with if there was no light. That's why many crimes happen at night where there's no light if you don't have a street light. Because you can get away with things. The light convicts us in how we really look and it shows us how we look and how we act. It holds us accountable. And one story about when I worked as a police officer was, I remember several times we had Heritage Park. I don't know if you guys know where that is. But we had a lot of people that would go there late at night, party, do whatever. But we also had a lot of kids that would go and they would congregate and they would try and destroy some of the property there. And I'll never forget... We would always drive through there late at night, shine our big lights on them, and they were doing bad because you know what they did afterwards? They scattered. They were all over the place, running everywhere. Because it was that light that we gave them that convicted them, that they knew that they were doing wrong. And when that light shined on them, they left. 
But light, light, light also protects. Because darkness is dangerous sometimes. Have you ever been outside late at night? No light. It can be scary, especially if you hear a noise. You ever been outside late at night, no light around, and you think you see something or you think you hear something? But when you have a flashlight or a street light and you hear or you think you see something, that light protects you because you can shine and you can see that there's nothing there. And you don't have to be scared anymore. You feel protected. So we in turn should shine our light on others to protect them from the spiritual darkness. Jesus then gives a couple illustrations that stress how our light should shine. After he says that you are the light of the world, he says in verse 14, like a city on the hilltop that cannot be hidden. Have you ever driven into a big city at night? Somewhere where they're on a hilltop or a mountain, and when you're driving, all the lights are on, and you can see that city from miles. It can't be hidden. When Jesus was preaching this sermon, it probably was where near a hilltop, where one of the, some of the hilltop cities were, that they could see from the torchlights. But he also may have been talking about the most famous hilltop city, which was Jerusalem. There may have also been several cities that could have been seen from Capernaum, which is where he was preaching this. But imagine in our Christian walk, imagine that we are a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, that our faith is so strong that people can see us coming from a mile away. So that's why we need to let our light shine as followers of Christ for all to see. And it should be something that they can see and we shouldn't be hidden. Jesus then talks about a lamp in a home in verse 15. He says, No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone else. Back then they had little clay lamps that burned olive oil. And Jesus is saying, you wouldn't put, take that lamp and light it and then put it under a basket. You'd only want to do that if you're putting it out. It's kind of like us buying a lamp for our house, putting it in a spot where we're going to sit and read or do something, turning it on, and then going over and getting a blanket and putting a blanket over it. Makes no sense. So our light has to be so everyone can see. In verse 16, Jesus here is making his point. He says, In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Before in the Beatitudes, he gave us some, some of the good deeds that followers of Christ will show to work for righteousness, to extend mercy, to make peace. All things that bring honor and glory to God. In 1 Peter 2.12, Peter writes, Live such good lives among the pagans that, 
Though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. This advice from Peter here sounds awfully familiar to what we read in Matthew 5.16. If how you act outside of this church and in your community and neighborhood is God-honoring and brings glory to him, it may cause even those who are not believers to praise God. So there's two main points here to take away from this. And that is that as followers of Christ, we need to be a good influence on the world. But we're to do that not mimicking what the world does. And secondly, we need to continue to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. So I have a couple questions. Will you be the salt of the earth? Will you continue to be an influence on others in your neighborhood and in your community and in this world to help persevere, persevere others in their faith and make them thirst for more of prayer, make them thirst for more of reading the Bible, make them thirst for more of Jesus? Continue to exemplify a lifestyle that is full of flavor and when people see you, they want what you have. Number two, will you be the light of the world? Will you continue to let your light shine and not hide it under a basket? Provide to others a light that shines so bright that they have a pathway that leads them to faith in Christ. In 1962, Adlai Stevenson gave a memorial address for Eleanor Roosevelt and said she would rather light candles than curse the darkness and her glow has warmed the world. Isn't that a great description? As Christians, we should want to warm the world with the love of Christ. Number three, get out of your salt shaker. Sometimes we have a tendency to stay in our little salt shaker and insulate ourselves completely from the world. We have a habit to only make Christian friends or to only shop at places that we know are Christians, to only listen to Christian music and only watch Christian TV shows, which isn't all bad. But if we hide away from the world all the time, we will not be able to be a light in this dark world. We're here for a reason, and every day we have new opportunities to be the salt and the light to the world around us. I said this before in another Bible, in another message, but to some, and remember this, to some, you might be the only Bible that someone ever reads. So please make the best out of every opportunity that you're given. The question I have, if you were arrested tonight and put on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Think about it. 
Lord God, I thank you for this time of worship and the study of your word and just ask that you'll help us to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world and to be an influence on others, all those that are in our neighborhood, the people that we work with, the people in our community. I just pray that we'll continue to shine a light on others so that they want what we have. And I pray that you continue to help us live in this world unashamed of you so that the world can see who you are and that we belong to you. We continue to pray for those who need prayer, for all those that are going through difficult times, especially those who call Woodland their home, who we've been praying for every Saturday and every Sunday and every Wednesday and all the time. Just pray that you'll continue to heal and to touch people's lives. We pray still for Pastor and Becky as they're still gone for a little bit and that they'll come back renewed and refreshed. We pray for all, the, all of our pastors as well as their families that you'll continue to be with them and guide them. And I pray that through your word, we will all learn to be saltier and brighter as Jesus shines in us and through us. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.